we began a new teaching series last week called uh, New Every Morning, A Season of Mercy. We began by telling you the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is this, the weeping prophet. He cries over the city of Jerusalem. Uh, that's as much of Jeremiah as I will ever teach, ever. Uh, at one point in his life, uh, the people of Jerusalem uh, dislike Jeremiah's message so much that they throw him into an, uh, uh, an empty cistern, an empty well, and he begins to sink down into the mud and into the mire beneath it. And in that moment in the pit, Jeremiah uh, has an, something unexpected happens to him. In that moment, he remembers the mercies of God. He even says that the mercies of God, sometimes translated the loving kindness of God, is new every morning. And what we've seen happen in our world and in our church is lots and lots and lots of people in the pit. In the pit of depression, in the pit of fear or anxiety. Some of you are in the pit of overwork. Some of you are just in the pit of just being preoccupied. Somebody told me this week that, that they have plans every single weekend between now and New Year's. The pit of busyness. And so for that reason, we really felt compelled to lead you as a church to, as a church, come together to experience a season of the loving kindness, a season of the mercies of God. So I want to begin by asking, uh, how many of you have pets? How many of you, oh, let me be more specific. How many of you have dogs? Okay, I don't care about any other pet, frankly. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Dogs are the only ones that count. Um, so we have, <laughs> amen. Uh, we have a dog. Uh, uh, we have a Labradoodle uh, named Chili. He's a chili dog. Um, we think we're really clever. Um, and uh, uh, Chili is, is mostly an inside dog, which is something we swore we would never do. He's, he's outside very infrequently. And even when he's outside, he's as close to the door as he can possibly get. Um, and this may astonish some of you. So how many of you who have dogs have rules for your dogs that your dog actually obeys? Wow, okay, we actually have a couple. Everybody else is like, well, we have rules. <laughs> so believe it or not, our dog, Chili, is not allowed in bedrooms. He's only really allowed in our living room. He's not allowed in bedrooms. He's not allowed in our bonus room. Uh, there, there are several places that he is just not allowed. And we started from when he was a puppy. And so when we walk into our bedroom, Chili will stop at the door of our bedroom. He knows that is a no trespassing zone. But sometimes he sneaks it a little, right? Uh, he loves to sneak into my daughter's room. And uh, so I'll be putting her to bed at night, the door will be open, and he just, you know, it's like one small step at a time. And even in his dog mind, you can see that he's contemplating all of the consequences of this action, but he can't contain himself. He just sneaks that next step and that next step, almost like to say, well, I didn't get a chance to tell her goodnight. And all we have to do is just look at him and say, chilly, and he'll immediately turn tail and take off. Um, 
it made me think of places we're not allowed to go. In the Old Testament, uh, the presence of God is super visible to, to Moses and the people of Israel after the Exodus. During the day, God's presence is a pillar of, of smoke, a cloud that leads them, and at night it's a pillar of fire, leads them all the way to this holy mountain. God's presence is, is so evident that they, they actually construct a tabernacle, a tent for his dwelling place. And all of the people of God knew that God's presence was there when, when the tent was filled with smoke, like when the cloud landed on the tent. They knew that God was there. But there was an issue. They weren't allowed in. Even though they could see like his tangible presence was in the place, no one was allowed in except for one person one time a year, right? You guys remember this. The high priest once a year would, would go in and make an offering for all of the sins of the people. He would go in and he would, he would come out just as hurriedly. And although the people of Israel could see the presence of God, they were, there was no trespassing. It was limited access. But the people would get as close as they could. It was said in, the, in this time that the, 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 the favored campsites of the people were as close to the temple boundaries as possible. Like They would just get right up to the edge but still was incredibly limited. And sometimes I think that attitude permeates our thoughts about God today, that like, so maybe there is a God, but he's somewhere else, somehow out of our reach, beyond our, beyond our reach. Sometimes maybe we even think that, that God is preoccupied with, with other things, like, you know, like, what's he going to do in my life? There's really important stuff that needs his attention. And sometimes we even think like, man, there is a God and he's there, but, but, not really worthy to enter into his presence. And the reality is that that misses a core truth that, uh, that the Bible presents from beginning to end. The reality of Scripture is that God is near. Nearer maybe even than you would want or like. Just a few examples for you when Jacob, in a time of indecision, lays his head to sleep on a rock. He has this dream about heavenly beings going up and down, ascending up and down. And he wakes up and he says, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. 120-year-old Moses at his retirement party as he hands everything off to Joshua as the people of Israel getting ready to enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, he says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you, and he'll never fail you nor abandon you. In Psalms uh, David speaks again and again of this, this God who is actually near to us. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 139, which you already saw a little bit of it today, says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to, up to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. He says, I can never escape. I can't get away from your presence. Even in the Old Testament, there are two books that never specifically mention the name of God. Fun trivia for you, figure out what those are. 
two books, God's name is never explicitly mentioned. And yet as you read these books, his presence is between every single letter. Even Matthew, Matthew's gospel begins and ends with this affirmation of God's presence. At the very beginning, the child Jesus is born. He's given the name Emmanuel. I know it's not Christmas, but uh, Emmanuel means what? God somewhere else, preoccupied with something else. God with us. And, and Matthew bookends this idea of the presence of God with us by Jesus says he's, he's Emmanuel in the beginning, God with us. And the, Jesus' very last words at the end of Matthew's gospel, do anybody remember what they are? Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see this idea of the presence of God, like, like it, it, it permeates the Bible, but it also is intended to like permeate our world. And it's, it, it's not enough to even say that God is near. Uh, it, we need to go even a step further than that. God's not just near. God's desire is to be near to you. Do you believe that? The whole witness of Scripture, the activity of God, is to restore, to return his great treasure, you, his children, to himself. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 19 through 22. Hebrews is this great like New Testament explanation of all the things that happened in the Old Testament. And he, he talks about the presence of God and the tabernacle. And he talks about this idea of the, whole, the, the high priest. And he says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Remember that tabernacle had a holy place and a holy of holies. And he says, now we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. He says, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. Remember what stood between all of the people and the presence of God. Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know this? Okay. It was, there was a huge curtain, right? The curtain weighed thousands of pounds. It was more than a hand's breadth wide. But in the death of Jesus, it's recorded that that curtain, that barrier between God and man, what happened to it? Yeah, it was ripped. It was torn. And the writer of Hebrews says that, like, this was what happened. Like, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, he says, look what it says, let us go right into the presence. You don't just have to stay around the boundary anymore. Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences, like maybe, you know, all of those feelings of my own sinfulness and my own worthiness, he says, for our guilty consciousness have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. I love this language of Jesus, our high priest that goes in for us once and for all. He creates this access for us, like Jesus is the mechanism 
for this access. Like without Jesus, sure, we have to stay outside of God, but, but through the blood of Jesus, he cleanses us, cleanses the, the guilt and the stain and the shame of our sin and washes us with pure water so that we're able to enter with sincere hearts. Hebrews chapter 4 expounds on this idea. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. It says at that place, there we will receive his, what's the word? Loving kindness. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. It says two things, when we, when we actually step into this presence, like when we actually follow Jesus into the presence of God, two things happen. One is we receive his mercy and we find grace to help it when we need it most. I love what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 30. It says, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he'll again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. That word refreshment, it's only time it's used in the New Testament. Uh, uh, it means um, recovery of breath. Uh, it made me think of Ecuador. Uh, Zach, I think you can show that next image. So uh, we've been a, a, a part of uh, serving a children's home in Ecuador the past few years. And uh, uh, we actually, you can go ahead and mark your calendars. We're taking a team again this in June of 2020. Um, it's an amazing place, amazing country. It's, it's the deep south. It's due south of us, about five hours by plane. And when you uh, fly from here to Ecuador, you'll probably land in the city of Quito. And, and Quito is the highest capital city in the world. So maybe you've been to Denver, Colorado. You know Denver? Denver is mile-high city. It's 5,000 feet above sea level. When you land in Quito, you're almost 10,000 feet above sea level. It's a mile higher up than Denver. And when you land two miles higher in elevation than you normally do, the first thing you do when you get off the plane is go, <laughs> right? A fun thing to do when you're in Quito, if like you, you, you trust Ecuadorian engineering, is uh, uh, they have this thing, and we have Spanish speakers here that are going to totally correct my pronunciation. It's called the Teleferico, Teleferico, it's one of those things. It's a gondola. And this gondola goes from the heart of Quito 3,000 feet up onto the edge of a volcano right there. So you go from nearly 10,000 feet to nearly 13,000 feet. And when you get off the gondola, you go, because you can't breathe. And one of the awesome things that's there, like, uh, um, Again, kind of like everything in Ecuador, like you just, you just do it. You don't really think about who built it or who's manning it or like, you know what I'm saying? It's not like they have the EPA or something. You know, like, yeah, it's just like you just kind of do things. And one of the things they have is a picture right there at the top. And you can see like when you're up there, all you see is clouds. But they have an oxygen bar there, right? And you would think, well, I wouldn't go to the No, you would. You would. You go and you slap that mask on, and you are so thankful for that breath, right? 
going from feeling like there's no oxygen in your lungs to recovering your breath, to breathing easy. That's what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 30. It says, then times of refreshment, of, of fresh breath, fresh air will come from the presence of the Lord. So, if God's desire is to be near us and, and God's presence is a place where we receive mercy and grace, it's a place where we can catch our breath, what stops us? What's preventing us from entering into his presence? I've been reading this book uh, called Interior Castle lately. Um, it's an old book. It was written in 1577 uh, by a nun in Spain. Her name was St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa in 1577 was uh, considered by some to be an expert kind of in, in the spiritual life. She was considered to be kind of an expert in prayer, although she herself complained that that she was too stupid to tell others about this and didn't even have a mind for this. But her superiors encouraged her to write this stuff down, her understanding of how the, the spiritual world worked and her understanding specifically about the, how the presence of God worked and how we could enter into it. So she wrote it down in the book, she, what she wrote, she called the interior castle. And it's built around this idea that in the center of each and every one of us is this crystal castle. Um, uh, uh, it's like a, a perfectly clear jewel. And in this, this center of this crystal castle is the fullness of the presence of God. The light of God is in the center room of this castle. But this room is surrounded by lots and lots of rooms. There's rooms above it and rooms below it and rooms to each side. And you have to kind of enter the exterior rooms and kind of make your way deeper into the fullness. And the more rooms you pass through, the closer you get to the fullness of God's presence. And what she wrote is uh, she spent a lot of times talking about those outermost rooms, like these, those outermost mansions is what she called them. It's the first ones. It's the first way to enter into God's presence. And I want to share a few quotes with you about what she wrote, and, and especially as it talks about what's preventing us from entering his presence. Here's what she wrote. She said, let us rather think of certain souls who do eventually enter the castle. She said, these are much absorbed in worldly affairs. But their desires are good and, and sometimes, though infrequently, they commend themselves to our Lord. And they think about the state of their souls, though not very carefully. Because they are full of a thousand preoccupations as they are. They pray only a few times a month. And as a rule, they are thinking all the time of their preoccupations. For they are very much attached to them. Eventually, they enter the first rooms on the lowest floor. But I love this next line. She says, but so many reptiles get in with them that they're unable to appreciate the beauty of the castle or find any peace within it. 
So sometimes today people say, well, man, we are, we are so busy. My schedule is so full. You wouldn't remember. Like we're busier than we ever have been before. But remember St. Teresa of Avila, like she wrote this 1577. In 1577, do you know what she said? Was preventing people from entering the presence of God? She said they are preoccupations. She said their mind is filled with a thousand preoccupations. Don't raise your hands. How many, of, how, how many of you does that apply to today? That right now in your head there's a thousand things running and you're not able to let go of them. And she says those people that are so consumed with these preoccupations all the time, they, they sometimes break through the surface a little bit and they try to enter the exterior door of the castle. And as soon as they crack the door of the castle open, as soon as they attempt to enter God's presence, what happens? She says that's when all the reptiles float in around them and surround them. And I love that idea. She talked about our preoccupations as venomous reptiles. that drown out the light and the presence of God. I think sometimes, I, talk, I said it earlier, like sometimes our fear is that God is preoccupied with something else. But it's not God that's preoccupied with something else, is it? We are preoccupied with something else. And even we're so preoccupied that even when we attempt to get into the presence of God, we're, we're drowned out. The truth is, God's only preoccupation is you. Just a few more words. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. The writer of Hebrews says, let us come, but... But the language, the real language is, let us continually come to the throne of our gracious God. It reminded me of um, another old guy, 17th century um, monk uh, named um, uh, Brother Lawrence. You know, you guys know about Brother Lawrence? Have you heard of this, Brother Lawrence? Brother Lawrence was a, was a cripple, like lived in a monastery, was in, in, in chronic pain. And, and, and Brother Lawrence was described by his fellow monks as an awkward fellow who broke everything. I imagine him as like a clumsy friar tuck. I, I don't know. Um, Brother Lawrence did nothing amazing or spectacular. He was mostly worked in the kitchen or re repairing sandals, like he lived a difficult life full of challenges. But in the face of many trials, he found something incredible. He found what he called an uncomplicated way to walk continually in God's presence. Nobody knew this, but after his death, his writings and letters were found. And, and they, they were published, and they speak to a way of life in the Shekinah of God. Shekinah is this idea of the dwelling place of God. His works were published as a, as a series of writings published as the practice of the presence of God. 
You see, Brother Lawrence actively sought to harness his mind to direct his thoughts toward God. He taught himself to enter into a kind of of ongoing, constant conversation with God, placing every thought, every activity before him. He would say, we don't need to be in church to be with God. How many of you faithfully practice your morning quiet time with God, but then leave him there to go about your tasks and preoccupations? How many of you quickly set down your prayer and presence with God and quickly pick up other things? Here's what Brother Lawrence said, 17th century. He said, the time of busyness does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. You see, he didn't leave his task to go and pray. Rather, he prayed through the heart of his busyness. For him, there was no difference between taking communion and peeling potatoes. He conversed with God moment by moment, remembering him with each dirty pot and unwashed plate. I think we need some more Brother Lawrence kind of Christians. What would happen if you dared to live in a constant consciousness of God? If you actively practice the presence of God throughout the day, how would it affect your worries? How would it affect your fears and maybe your feelings of inadequacy or or anxiety? Would you see people differently and would your priorities change? You see, I think nothing is likely to affect or challenge or, or disturb the rhythm of your life day more than an active awareness of God. And nothing is likely to bring more satisfaction. Brother Lawrence said this, just a quick quote. I know we're getting close to wrapping up. He says, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. Let me ask you, when this week or or how this week did you shift your consciousness to remember Emmanuel? When did you rise above your preoccupations to consider again that you are not alone? Did you remember that all of the goodness and grace and mercy of God is available to you, not in some distant place, but now and today? When did you see him? When did you hear him? When did you allow for an opportunity to experience him? You see, I think the presence of God with all of its mercy and all of its grace and the fresh breath that so many of you are desperate for is a gift we must practice. Remember what he called it? Brother Lawrence called it the practice of of the presence of God. What worldly affairs, what thousand preoccupations, what reptiles 
have drawn you out of the presence of God this week. I invite you again to follow the example of uh, St. Teresa and Brother Lawrence and others. Invite you this morning to put into practice, create a uh, a constant consciousness and awareness of God. I remind you that he's here. And I don't just mean in church when we're worshiping. I mean that he's here. That he is here for you with heart and mind and intention, ready and waiting. If only we would embrace it. Remember all that separates us from God. The great barrier of the curtain was torn in half because of the blood and Jesus, uh, because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In just a minute, we're going to enter into a time of communion. If you're a guest with us, we do this maybe a little bit different than your tradition or experience, but we have tables set up around the room with the elements of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And as you take this bread and as you take this cup, we want you to remember the sacrifice of Christ. But, but, but think about this. If all you do is remember the sacrifice of Christ, but never in, enter into what his sacrifice offers... If you, if you somehow take the elements of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but never enter into the presence it opens up to us, are you really communing? Is that really what it's about? So I invite you in this space to go ahead and practice. Put into practice the presence of God. Let go of your preoccupations That'd be a worthy task at this table. Shut out the reptiles because he's waiting for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word and for its power. And uh, God, I, think, I just think this is incredibly necessary and important. I think our, our world is drowning in a pit of busyness and preoccupations. We've, we're pursuing all other kind of things and, and yet somehow don't seem to have time for you anymore. So Father God, let us be bold in our practice. Let our practice extend beyond a Sunday morning, but let our practice extend into, uh, even into our sleep. Let it, let it extend, let us, as we drive our cars, as, as we walk to our office, God, as in between phone calls, God, let us practice your presence. Let us remember that we are not alone. And in your presence, God, may we receive your love and kindness and grace. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity. We know it's available to us only through the blood of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says, amen.